0: Hello, friends, and welcome back. My guest today is Reverend Dr. Vern Poitras. Dr. Vern Poitras is a distinguished professor of New Testament Biblical Interpretation and Systematic Theology at Westminster Theological Seminary, where he has taught for 44 years. Winston Churchill once said that those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Yet, most Americans don't know their country's history, let alone the faith-building history upon which this country stood. Expect to learn what we need in order to study history, how history in and outside the Bible leads us to praise and glorify God, why thinking you are better than those in the past is a sign of arrogance, what to cling to when evil invades your life and the ones you love, and in light of all of this, how we should be living our lives differently, and much more. But now, please welcome Dr. Vern Poitras. Dr. Vern Poitras, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. What do we need in order to study history? Uh, That's a big question.
1: Well, we need God. <laughs> we need God in all our lives. And but if you try to break it up beyond that, we need some direction. We need a framework. We need norms for understanding how to sift what we're seeing. And those norms come primarily from God's word and <clears throat> from the Bible. Then we need something we're going to study. We need a world out there which is providentially controlled by God. And that's part of the issue in studying history. What are we studying? Are we studying sound and fury, fury signifying nothing? As you know, one of the Shakespeare characters says, Or is it something mm. that has meaning, first of all, in the mind of God and in the plan of God? And then the meanings of you know particular people who are made in the image of god who are of eternal weight in a certain respect because we're we're never going to just pop out of existence so so what is this world out there and the third thing we need is ourselves <laughs> we we need the capability of thinking and understanding and observing the world. And you know, when most of the time we take that for granted, but all of that is a gift of God. And and when it's taken away, when people grow senile, or when babies are born with deficiencies mentally, then one of the lessons to learn is we can't take it for granted. It is a gift of God. Mm -hmm. It's a good gift. And yeah, but also contaminated by sin so that people can call evil good and good evil. That actually is a pretty much a quote from um, early chapters of Isaiah. Yeah. That people can, we all have an innate sense of moral good and evil, and that is from mm-hmm. God too, conscience, but it's corrupted by sin. So when we're trying to understand the significance of actions in history, we bring ourselves to the picture inevitably. And, and there are other kinds of influences too. People, some, some people have greater gifts from God hmm. to do uh, what should I say, kind of uh, transporting themselves into the shoes of other people, of imagining what it would like to be Napoleon, for example. Right. Uh, or what it would be like to be Hitler. I mean, that hmm. is uh, horrific for many people, but but actually there's There was a good biography of Hitler that made me understand some of the horror, you know, and I think benefited me Mm. by seeing this man was not just uh, a crazy man, but there was a rationale. It was an evil rationale, but getting inside other people is a gift that some people have more than others. Uh, So all those things, there's three things, right? you got norms from God, you've got a world that God made, and you've got yourself made in the image of God, and because we're made in the image of God, we're capable hmm. of understanding something of the significance of what God is doing, and what other people made in the image of God are doing, hmm. but we're finite. So, you know, all those things come together, and they think there's some people when they approach history it's almost as if they believe themselves to be infinite that whatever they think is right right and so there's not enough checks in terms of of um, interrogating other possibilities and listening to other voices
0: Hmm. Hmm. and yeah and that's what makes the bible so unique is that it's still so relevant uh you compare it across so many different other manuscripts that are out there and the fact that it's still relevant today, thousands of years later, is incredible. When you have a biblical view of history, how should we be living differently? Like when you have that, that perfect understanding, um, I mean, you've been studying it for <laughs> decades. You've been probably three times my lifetime, I've uh, been studying this this topic. But like when you have that view, how should you be living your life differently?
1: Right. Well, my view isn't perfect, right? We're all... <laughs> Uh, works in progress mm, and in the uh, the history that God writes. Uh, but I do think it makes an enormous amount of difference. And when you, we're talking about history, that's as it were the big picture. Where do we come from, far past? What's the history of of our nation, of our family and ancestors? What's the far future? Mm. Now, nobody knows the future except God. And it makes a great deal of difference whether history has a purpose and whether our lives have a purpose. I think many people in the West have now given up on God. Mm. And so they're trying to invent meaning out of their own minds or through relationships to people who can give them meaning. And it's incredibly frustrating. <laughs> I, I think it's incredibly frustrating because they're disconnected from god who made them and he made them for fellowship with himself and that fellowship is restored as a christian who reads the bible knows it's restored only through jesus christ but that concept is basically the concept of god ruling all of history from beginning to end for his own purposes but then the micro picture is he's in my life Mm. and that seems to me connects Uh, vitally, the big picture and the small picture. So when we read, let's say, about Josiah was eight years old, when he became king. Mm -hmm. And that that happened. uh, Something like 650 years, uh, 650 BC uh, is, uh, you know, what relevance does that have to me? Mm -hmm. But God is just as much involved in the life of Josiah, even as an eight year old child. As he is in my life, and so there's—it's a continual reminder. The Bible's big picture is also a reminder of the small picture, and I think again, our our whole Western culture is struggling with a loss of the sense that God is present in my life, not simply as a psychological reality. You know, the people who think of Christianity as kind of psychological crutch—well, I do think it helps people <laughs> to think and feel well. But that's not the point of it. The point of it is it's true, right? And that our fellowship with God is restored. And so in the light of that, you find that your life has meaning, you find Mm. that it you you can work with effort to serve God and not just your employer or not just your spouse. Mm. Your, your work has, and not just I'm saying work for, for money, but, you know, whatever activities we engage in, they should be done for the glory of God. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So what I'm trying to paint is the, the relation between the big picture, God is in charge of all of history, and the small picture of my life, of your life, uh, that they, are, they go together. If you learn the lesson from the one, you should learn the lesson <laughs> that God is intimately involved in your life every morning I get up I put on socks and it is God who has determined before the foundation of the world that I'm going to put on socks now I have a decision to make too but that is not independent of the fact hmm. that God has a plan for my life and that that is the most stupendous thing if people could only get a hold of it but as i say we're we're living in a culture where That is the the understanding of that and the consciousness that God is, in fact, present sort of evaporating. Hmm. And and so I think that's, you know, one of the deep ills that we're suffering. And it all goes back to the fact we come into the world, each one of us, intrinsically alienated from God, intrinsically turned into the self. Uh, The self is the final reference point, it's my final idol, right? That's what I serve and everything I do. And actually, the people who think they're Christians can do the same thing. God becomes somebody to manipulate to get what they want. Well, that's mm-hmm. the opposite of what it should be, right? It should be you saying, God, what do you want? But what God wants is that we be happy in him, that we would be fulfilled in him. It's not, it's not two contradictory things, but you start at the wrong end of it. And history is, you know, all about people starting at the wrong end and getting bitten and even killed uh, because they're trying to out they're out for themselves.
0: Hmm.
1: And and so they <laughs> so they can't get happiness. You, you think of the, you know, the drug users, right? A user of illegal drugs is getting high. You can understand, well, he wants to be happy. The drug gives him a happiness high, but he's killing himself. Yeah. And, and I'm saying that's a picture of all of us. Mm. We're, we're all innately turned inward like that, and innately not good
0: judges of what's really good for us. That's why we have to be reconciled to God. Yeah. One thing I know to be true is my heart is deceitful, right? (laughs) I can think my intentions are pure, even with this own podcast. I'm like, the reason I started this podcast was like, I want to have conversations with other believers in all walks of life and have meaningful conversations that would be edifying to one another, you know, and then edifying to the people listening. But even in that, I know my heart is deceitful and like, oh, maybe I'm... Maybe I'm really wanting to build some sort of legacy or maybe I'm trying to get some sort of status. And so I'm always aware of my heart being deceitful. So that's why I have to have a clear conscience of like, okay, Lord, like, listen, <laughs> I'm, I'm laying this before you. I know my tendency is to always glorify myself, always glorify myself. So how can I die to myself and, and give more to you?
1: Yes, and I believe it's an intrinsic aspect. of of knowing Jesus Christ personally,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. is the one thing that enables us to look with realism at our own sin. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's too hard to bear. (laughs) But because Jesus brings forgiveness, you know, there's forgiveness, then it becomes bearable to admit, yeah, I have this self centeredness I have these sins.
0: One of the quotes in your book, you say, do you think that we are in every way better people than in the past is a sign of arrogance? What do, you, what do you mean by that?
1: Yes, well, I'm thinking of a modern tendency, and I'm not the first. I think C.S. Lewis and a number of other people have observed that that people in the 19th and 20th centuries are so enamored with scientific and technological progress And technological progress has just exploded since about 1950. And just, we're inundated with, you know, new gadgets. So so we're so superior to the past. Well, we're superior in the number of gadgets, but that doesn't make us morally superior. Mm. That doesn't make us religiously superior. And if we face it, human nature has not changed. I think there've been more human lives lost in wars in the 20th century than all the wars before. So it's really disgraceful. But the trouble is, if you have these gadgets, you know, one, one of the, the lines of, of uh, technological uh, work that you can do is to invent new weapons, Hmm. right? So that, so that warfare has become in some respects, more horrible, in the 20th century, and into the 21st Now, you know, we're, we're not free from from wars in some parts of the world even now. And we're not going to be because those those tendencies go back to the human heart. And that's another thing about the Bible of its its moral and religious realism. Uh, it doesn't sugarcoat things. And it's surprising that some of the Bible heroes like Abraham and David, you, you see accounts of their sins. That's not what anybody does if they're gonna make a hero, right? <laughs> you make a hero who is a pure hero. Right. But but these are not. Why not? Because they're showing that even people who have been reconciled to God, Abraham, David, among them, they still have indwelling sin. They still have the remnants of the old life. And that never totally disappears. That's the teaching of the Bible. So that's mm-hmm. a realism. And it goes a long way to explain the tragedies of the Christian past, right? And people, I think, in the modern world, they're ready to say, "Oh, Christianity is passé," because look at all the. For some people, it's the scandal of moral mistakes made by mm. people who claim to be Christian. Now, some of them weren't really Christian, but but that's a mixed bag. And if we had time, we could get into the fact that history is a very mixed bag in terms of what Christians have done to influence the world because there are people who claim to be Christian who are perfectly nasty and who got into leadership positions. But there are also people like Florence Nightingale who started up hospitals. She one of the innovator innovators in the work of building hospitals and William Wilberforce who is instrumental in stopping this slave trade. So there were innate impulses in Christianity I believe Uh, for righteousness, but they're very mixed because the Christians are imperfect. Mm. That's another thing to do, you know, in looking about extra biblical history. Extra biblical history is like biblical history in that respect. The Bible is full of these mixed cases, puzzling cases, and failures on the part of righteous people and repentance sometimes on the part of, of very evil people, Ahab and Manasseh. Evil kings—they both repented. So they,
0: <laughs> there's hope for any of us. <laughs> it was one of the messages out of there. Yeah. <laughs> how does how does reading um, how does reading history in the Bible then lead us to praise and glorify God? It sounds like an obvious question, but I, I really want you to kind of unpack that. Right.
1: Well, the Bible's history is not merely to entertain us, not merely to give us facts. Mm. It, it, the individual stories are part of the grand story of redemption. And it's that grand story which is the center for praise and, and, and realizing the immensity of God's goodness, the immensity of his mercy. So when talk about glorifying God, ascribing to God the goodness and the magnificence of who he really is, Now that comes out in many respects in the Bible, but one of them is in the historical accounts, because they sometimes show the magnitude of his mercy. When David is caught in adultery and and setting up Uriah's murder, that's a terrible event to record in the Bible, Mm. but it ends in God's mercy. And so it's, it's a hopeful event for everybody. So it's that kind of thing. But then as we... The Bible is special because all the events are oriented around the story of redemption that culminates in climaxes in the work of Christ and his life and death and resurrection. So uh, we see many precursors to that in the Old Testament. David is one of them. David is a king. He's basically a good king. And as such, he's a kind of picture beforehand of the final king, the Messianic king, Jesus himself. But his imperfections remind us, no, this is not the real thing. (laughs) This is only a shadow of the real thing. Yeah. So there's that kind of thing. But then you can look out from the Bible in all its specialness and say, God is still acting to save people. Sometimes to save them physically. You know, sometimes he says mercy on non-Christians. You know, somebody is trapped in a well or in a burning house, let's say, and they just cry out to God. And, and God rescues them. Well, they they may that may be the beginning of their pursuing a relationship with God, or it may not. They may just toss it aside, but that shows God's mercy. But the biggest mercy, of course, is when he brings people to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. So one of the things I like about the history outside the Bible is watching the fulfillment of something God has predicted in the Bible, namely mm. the spread of the message of salvation and the spread of people who follow Jesus all across the world. And it's happening, even though in the midst of persecution, in the midst of sometimes intense opposition, from from political and religious sources, people are hearing the message and believing, and it's going out into more and more language groups and more and more. Culture. So I think that's an enormously exciting thing. Hmm. My wife, for her uh, doctoral work, studied uh, the Reformation. And that's an exciting period because there was a rediscovery of this message, the message of salvation in the Bible in its purity. And you see people being transformed and cultures being transformed whole. cities and towns being transformed. Not everyone, right? It's always this mix.
0: Yeah.
1: But it's a very exciting period, and you can see, well, this is God at work, not because there's some kind of special hand in the sky, but because the Bible describes this is part of the spread of the gospel. We know that God is in it.
0: On, uh, on page 34, I, you should see how many highlights I have of your book. Um, but one of the things that really stuck out to me was um, I always get this question asked uh, by a bunch of different friends of this, like, okay, if there's such a loving God, right? Like, how can bad things happen to us? Uh, you mentioned, like, there are other instances in the Bible that confirm the general principle that God controls evil events for his own good purposes, so in light of that how should we view God when right quote unquote bad things happen to us?
1: Yes. Well, it's a great question and uh, having read my book, you know, part of the answer I would give, part part is that there's much we do not know. Yeah. There's much that is mysterious. The, where I like to start is with the crucifixion of Christ. You talk about bad events. This is mm intensely evil event, right? Corrupt people putting an innocent man to death with enormous suffering and shame. God works the salvation of the world. And I think sometimes God does not explain himself in a lot of the other horrific events that take place because he wants us to focus on that one place where he shows both his goodness Mm -hmm and his rule over intense evil it's a profound thing if you want something earlier than that the story of job is a good place for people to begin because job is innocent and yet he suffers and even to the end of the book he never is given a straight answer why (laughs) why am i suffering instead he has an encounter with god assures him of God's his surpassing greatness and and ends up saying, who am I? In effect, <laughs> I don't know your ways. I don't know why, but I'm willing to submit to the fact that you are God and I'm not. <laughs> you know, that's obviously not exactly what Job says, but but I think that's an experience that people can go through themselves, not obviously every aspect of it. But if we, if suffering comes into our lives, then uh, it can serve the good of God, though we don't see it at the time. There's a passage in Romans 5 where it says, suffering brings endurance, and endurance brings character, and character brings hope. God uses these things. It's It's not easy at the time. And, and there are people like Johnny Erickson, Erickson who have suffered greatly and written about it uh, in a way that I think reaches other people more than I can. I, don't, I can't say that I've had a great deal of suffering in my life, but I understand the fact that a certain amount <coughs> of suffering is going to happen to everybody. It just is. And, and one of the things about when it happens is sometimes it's actually because you've, you've done something wrong. Mm. Suffering can be a punishment for individual sin. We need to face that. It's very unpopular to say it, but, but you got to ask, anybody's got to ask when suffering comes, is God drawing attention to something where I've sinned? Mm. Either it's a direct consequence of my sin that I'm now in the fix, right? If I, if I've been a spendthrift, right? And then I lose my job and I have no resources to fall back in. Well, maybe I would, better repent and manage my money better that's just a you know small example but people ought not to get hung up on that either because job and other cases too are examples not all suffering is a direct consequence of personal individual sin so you know there's no need to kind of dig and dig and dig if God doesn't bring some sin to our attention but it's a time also, I think, to reflect on the fact that this world is not an ideal world. Hmm. All suffering is a kind of reminder that we're headed to a new heaven and new earth. And until we get there, we ought to long for it and not be satisfied with what hmm. we have now. So I think particularly, I guess, in the prosperous societies of America and Western Europe, people get addicted to the world and feel it's hmm. their right to be you know, to have plenty, and to be in good health, and so on. And really, all those things are blessings from God. But if they're taken away, then we're resentful. Mm -hmm. But what ought to happen is, is saying, you know, I need to refocus, because I've been investing hopes in my happiness that I should be investing in God and my relation to him. So that's another kind of thing that can happen. There are many dynamics. I mean, God, works in each person's life a little bit different because he knows us. He's the only one who knows us to the very bottom. But I think when people go through suffering, it's nice to latch on to a mature Christian. <laughs> Not every Christian gives good advice. And mature Christians can stand alongside a person and pray for him and empathize what he's going through, but also remind him of the promises of God, remind him of the hope that I've laid out of the new heaven and the new earth and and uh, pastors right are one of the reasons why god raises them up is to do this kind of thing mm. so i think people ought to realize they don't have to go through all of this alone mm. of course that god is the primary person right but also he appoints other people if they're part of a christian community and these people are real help i i think many people out there have never had the experience of being part of a robust healthy Christian community. My mm-hmm. wife and I have, and it's it's incredibly helpful. It's incredibly blessing. Yeah. And uh I'm just sorry that you know people have met so many dysfunctional or mm. or even well uh, fake Christian communities, right? right? Well I have the name of of Christian but not the reality. But and it doesn't mean that there's gonna be any group on earth that's gonna be flawlessly perfect, but that's one of the resources in suffering as well.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think about it in my own church. Um, I recently just moved churches. I um, was part of a very charismatic church for about about 15 years of my life in the last like five or six. Um, hopped on a couple of different churches and finally came to this one church where I feel like it's actually healthy. Like. It's cool. I get to see a group of guys on a Thursday night for three hours. You know, it's not a quick forty-five minute Bible study, but it's like, hey, how are you really doing, Luke? Like, what is going on? What is that sin that you, you know, we talked about last week. How are you doing with that? What's going on? And I'm I'm living life with them. You know, I'm not just seeing them on a Sunday for an hour and then, oh hey, see you next week. It's Hey man, I'm gonna see you on, on Tuesday hey. I'm gonna see you on Thursday and I'm gonna walk with you and I'm not going to condemn you, but I'm going to call you out when you try to hide behind your sin. right Like when there's vulnerability, you start sharing it all and then you know the week goes on and maybe you fall into sin again and then you're like, oh shoot, you know I know he's gonna bring it up. but that's that's what we need you know and then you have those brothers who are solid, those mature Christians, right who can like re-emphasize and remind you of the gospel, remind you of truth. Because so quickly we can we can get so down on ourselves and forget uh, the the free gift that we have from God. Like if our salvation was dependent upon us, I mean we'd be so hopeless, <laughs> so hopeless. And I'm and I'm glad that it's not. And it's you know it's there's actually a book called uh, The Freedom of Self Forgetfulness by Timothy Keller, and he has this line in here that goes, uh, "We get the verdict before the performance," right? And every other religion, it's you get performance, you know, the atheist, Muslim, Buddhist, right? It's they're, they're doing all these things, these quote unquote good things. And hopefully by the end of it, they'll get a verdict that says, yep, you're good. But in Christianity, we get the verdict. Before the performance. So Jesus has already been in the courtroom. And then based upon that, we can do quote unquote good things. We can have performance, not because we're trying to affect our salvation, but because of the result of the verdict that's already in. And it's it's like once that finally clicked in my mind, I was like, oh, it's so freeing. There's no more condemnation anymore.
1: Yes, great. Yeah. And and we see lives of people in the bible that illustrate that very thing Mm. Uh, again not perfectly but the realism helps to assure us no you don't have to be a perfect christian to be a genuine christian
0: (laughs) yeah yeah and in in light of all this with with history with all these different elements um what is the main thing you want um, the people who are going to read your book to to walk away from it. What's the what's the core element? Right. I
1: think it would be to understand God is providentially there, His hand is in all events, small and big. Get the big picture, right? Where we came from, how we went astray, Adam, Eve, and fall. What Christ has done, where we're going. Get that big picture, but then fit the details even of your own life into that. Your own personal history is part of this grand plan of God. And everything that happens, happens for a purpose, though many times we cannot discern it, right? That's part of the lesson of Job that we've talked about. And I believe that uh, understanding the greatness and presence of God affects not only our understanding of the big picture of history, but the small picture of each individual life.
0: Hmm. Dr. Vern Poitras, ladies and gentlemen, if people want to follow your work, where should we send them?
1: Well, there's a website, frame and then a hyphen, poitras.org. That that has the main things about me and my friend, uh, John Frame.
0: Awesome, I'll have all the links in the description. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for inviting me. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast episode with Dr. Vern Poitras. It was an absolute honor to have him on. If you want to support this podcast in another way, there's a couple of different ways you can do that. One, you can share this podcast episode with a family member or friend. Two, you could leave a podcast review on whatever audio platform you are listening to. That would be so helpful. And I will talk to you all next week.